Friends, what's going on? Guess what? It's episode number 200 of the podcast right here. The What If Project 200 episodes. And I'm super excited. Uh, My name is Glenn. I'm the host. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you for those of you who tune in every week, who listen to the show, pass it around. Uh, It means a lot to me. It really does. And I've gotten to know some of you. And uh, I feel very connected to a lot of you. And I'm just grateful for this experience. I'm grateful for this lifeboat that we've put together, that we're all kind of navigating our way through the waters of faith and spirituality and life. And uh, it's great. It's great. So thank you for being here. This this podcast started as a dream in 2017 after a, a course I took at school. I was in a very evangelical school. And I was very quietly wrestling uh, with some questions <laughs> inside. I didn't really feel very safe to bring. And I had an adjunct professor who came in to teach a class uh, who was presenting very progressive ideas, quoting Rob Bell and Brian McLaren, things like that. Uh, fellow classmates weren't jiving <laughs> very much with it, but I was. And uh, we became friends. We did a directed study together at the end of school. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's a good friend of mine. He's been a very uh, important voice in my life and in my faith. And uh, yeah, so this podcast started as a, as a dream back then because I, I was talking to him and I said, well, what if, what if uh, I started like a, a podcast? I don't know if it was going to be a YouTube channel or a blog. I don't know what it was going to be. But what if I started this thing where I just kind of shared the stuff that I was exploring in hopes that maybe other people are thinking the same things and they would want to come jump on board this lifeboat, so to speak, and we could kind of navigate through things together. And uh, I was a radical idea for that place because, like I said, it was a very evangelical school. Um, and I've, I've heard from, <laughs> from various uh, professors and things from, from that world uh, that, that, that they're not too pleased with some of the things that go on here. And so it was a radical idea for that setting. And uh, my professor, uh, Bo Sanders, said to me, you know, I think that you should do this. And uh, I will support you in any way that I can. And so that really gave me this like permission slip, I guess, to go and do it. And I thought it was going to go on for like a few months, kind of run out of things to talk about and then go do something else. But uh, here we are, still lots and lots of things to talk about. And uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So thank you for listening. For those of you who support the show on Patreon, thank you. I thank you for your support, uh, your encouragement. It means the world to me. And, uh, and to my family. Today, for the 200th episode, I brought on my friend, Alexander John Shia, uh, for the, I don't know, is this like the fifth time he's been on the show? I don't know. I, I, I lost count. But Alexander and I, very good friends. Um, I do his social media at Quadrados, and so I'm on staff. If you go to the website, quadrados.com, uh, under the About section, you'll see my, my face there because I'm, I'm his social media wizard is the name that he has given to me. And so I do stuff for him on Instagram and Facebook and all the places. Uh, I'm really grateful. I get to talk to him pretty much every day. Um, He's in Spain most of the time. I'm in the U.S. And so there's a bit of a time gap there. But we're texting, messaging pretty much all day long about all sorts of things. It's not just related to the work aspect, but also life. You know, he's become become a friend of mine, um, a real mentor and a guide. Uh, I feel like his teachings are kind of taking me into the next uh, season 
of my faith and, and of my life. And uh, I think you're going to see, you'll get a picture of what that is in this episode. Because in this episode, we talk about uh, Easter. Yesterday was Easter. This is dropping on the Monday after Easter. Uh, so we talk about Easter. We talk about Holy Week. Uh, because for me, and maybe many of you growing up, Holy Week was like the, I, I talk about this in the episode, but like the pinnacle of all the weeks <laughs> of the year. And you're in church like all the time. It's just like every day there's like a new event to go to, whether it's a Monday, Thursday service where we remember the betrayal of Jesus, or it's the Good Friday service with the crucifixion, or you know, Saturday, some churches do Holy Saturday stuff. And then obviously Easter Sunday, there's a sunrise service, there's the normal service, there's special meals, all different sorts of things. And, you know, for me, like, that was Holy Week. And then, obviously, Palm Sunday started off the week, the week before. Uh, but Alexander talks to me in this episode about how in the early church, like, the ancient Christianity, like, we're talking, like, first century stuff, that, that like, wasn't a thing. Like, they, they didn't do this sort of thing. This didn't come till much, 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 much later. And so Alexander's going to take us on a trip uh, through history and show us um, kind of what how the early Christians celebrated Easter, Lent. Lent wasn't a 40-day thing, it was a two-day thing. Uh, so get ready, buckle up, really good stuff coming your way. And I thought it would be perfect to drop this, the 200th episode, but the day after Easter, so that we could look back together on Easter, which was yesterday and the week before and all these different things, and kind of think about what we just might have experienced uh, internally or at church or with our family, whatever, uh, during Easter and kind of look at that through the filter of what Alexander is about to show us or teach us or talk to us about uh, in this episode. So I'll put all his links in the show notes. Uh, he has a book called Radical Transformation that you should definitely get uh, because it's really good stuff. But I'll put his links in the show notes. Uh, my book also in the show notes, Rethinking Everything, My Journey from Black and White, Fundamentalist Thinking to This Wild World of Color that I find myself in today. Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show. All the links, they're all in, all in the show notes. But all that to say, my friends, episode number 200, fire off some confetti today. Have a good time, celebrate the moment. Uh, thank you for you, thank you for listening. Much love and enjoy the show, peace. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah Just mind don't buy, don't play by the rules I'm gon' make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Alright Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight the shuffle getting real. I hope it lives on something good. I'm all in for the kill. Sometimes it's getting kind of scary. I'm here for the thrill. Decisions on top of decisions, like I chose a pill. The bottle getting kind of empty. Temptations made us presence in the air. It's kind of tempting. Shortcuts after question, but it got on my right, Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 200 of the show we have a very special uh, returning guest to join us for the many festivities today uh, the one and the only alexander john shia so alexander welcome back it's always a pleasure thanks glenn it, it, it's always a pleasure and i can't believe this is 200. me this neither is, congratulations you have run the course my brother 
thank you. It kind of snuck up on me. I got to like 180. I was like, oh, we're kind of nearing that 200 mark. And, and here we are. Wow. And a good 200. I, th I think so. Thank you. I feel like it's been. I, I, I love hearing your voice. I mean, you, there's something so genuine about what you bring. So thank you. Thank you. So fun fact, did you know that you were the, only the second guest I had on the podcast way back in, was it fall of 2018? You were the second guest. Did you know that? Second guest? Second guest. Wow. Yeah. I'd been doing uh, solo episodes for a while where it was just me talking through things uh, because I was honestly way too nervous and somewhat insecure <laughs> to interview somebody. I was like, what would I say? What if I say something stupid? And so I had one recording with a guy named Phil Snyder. We talked about uh, LGBTQ inclusion, which pretty much got me canceled by all the evangelicals who are still on my Facebook friends list. And that was episode three. And then I met you at Wild Goose uh, the previous summer. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Alexander would want to talk to me. He seems like a very gentle spirit. So maybe he'd want to come and talk to me. And you did. Uh, you joined me on episode, I think it was episode eight. We talked about your book. And uh, here we are all this time later. We still have. Was I in New Jersey at that point? I'm trying to think. It, it seems like I was I was in transition somewhere anyway. I think you not. were in New Mexico. And I remember I set up a table outside on my back porch because Jordan was still like very, very small. And there was like she was having a major meltdown. And so I popped up the table outside. There were airplanes flying over my head. It was just a crazy day. But we, we did it. And here we are. We have all, we still have stuff to talk about. Can you believe it? We yes. still have things. Yes. Yeah. We have not, we have not tapped out of things to talk about. So what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about Easter. Um, okay. Even though we're recording this in early April, the episode releases actually the day after uh, Easter. And so I thought it would be a really good opportunity for us to maybe reflect with our listeners back on the events of the week before Easter, what we traditionally call Holy Week in the church. Now, I've already shared this with you kind of on the side, but to maybe set up our conversation, I want to make, make sure our listeners are on the same page with us. So if you wouldn't mind bearing with me, Alexander, as I kind of retell the story of my upbringing to give them a little bit of, uh, of perspective. And uh, for our listeners, this could be a little bit triggering depending on your upbringing. So hold on to your seats. Uh, just a, a trigger warning, I guess you could say. But growing up for me um, in the evangelical church, uh, even in the Reformed church for a while, uh, Holy Week was always like the pinnacle of like all of the weeks in the church year, right? Like we pulled out all the stops, you know, the brightest lights, the best technology that we had, the biggest screens, all the things. And uh, after Palm Sunday, where we handed out palm branches, uh, the, the extra time in church kind of started late Thursday night with a, a Monday Thursday service. And that service typically took place in the basement of the church. Uh, lights were off, uh, you know, candles were lit. We divided into like small groups of five or eight people. We sat around these round tables. We took communion together. And the focus was almost always on uh, Judas's betrayal of Jesus or on Peter's three denials of Jesus. And the instructions were to pretty much identify ourselves with a Judas or a Peter, because just like them, we tend to betray and deny Jesus every single day. That was kind of like the, the main thrust of the homily or the, the sermon, whatever. And we would take communion 
We'd sing these very solemn hymns and we would leave the, the basement silent. We weren't allowed to talk. We'd have to leave silent, get in our cars and, and drive home. And as if that wasn't looking back on it, traumatizing enough, Monday, Thursday led into Good Friday. And that service also took place at night. Uh, but this time it was usually in the sanctuary of the church. And it was always very dark, again, very dreary. Uh, lots of red. We'd have red lights sometimes shining on like the wooden cross, red curtains, all symbolizing uh, uh, the blood. And then the pinnacle of the service was after the sermon, we were instructed to actually write our sins on a note card, go up to the front in front of everybody, go up to this very giant cross, there'd be a long line of people. And we would take the, the, the note card and we have our sin written on it. And we walk up to the cross, we take a, ten, a real 10 penny nail, a hammer, and we would drive this nail through the note card and nail it to the cross. And there was no music playing because the, I remember the pastor saying that he wanted us to hear the sound of the hammer hitting the nail throughout the course of the service, because every time we commit a sin, we were told we were kind of nailing Jesus to the cross all over again. So Saturday, then after Friday, we go home, nothing happens on Saturday. We're just told to go home and kind of sit at home and reflect on these last two services and then come back for Sunday for some sort of a, of a celebration. And that was, that was Holy week. I mean, that was pretty much it. And I mean, it was, it varied. Like, that's kind of like a mishmash of a lot of my different experiences, but like for me growing up, like those were the main themes of Holy week, very somewhat celebratory on Palm Sunday, very somber Thursday and Friday, no idea what's going on on Saturday. And then Sunday you're supposed to come back and just be excited that Jesus rose from the dead and he's taking people with him who believe in him <laughs> to heaven. And that was it. But you, my friend, have brought a much different light onto Holy Week for me and uh, many other people. And uh, I'm still processing all of what you have to say. So I thought this would be a really good opportunity for maybe some of our listeners who had a similar experience to me to maybe hear what you have to say, to maybe turn the diamond of the scriptures a little bit and these stories and give us a different uh, perspective. So I have a notebook ready. I'm ready to take some notes and uh, I'm ready to, to hear what you have to say. Wow. Um, you just brought back a flood of memories from my childhood. Yeah. Of course, I grew up in Middle Eastern Christianity mm -hmm. and we in those days had Holy Week, but it wasn't it wasn't that I remember that of the foot washing service was was very solemn, but it was beautiful. Um, and then we there was an all night vigil about staying awake with Jesus. And then on, on Good Friday, we all brought uh, flowers from our gardens hmm. and we, we laid them in this um, beer or like crib like piece that was then buried in a tomb and uh, just really beautiful laying these flowers in the tomb. And then on Easter morning, uh, the tomb was opened and we all took uh, flowers, uh, a different flower than what we brought. We, all, we took flowers home with us mm. anyway. Um, that's how I grew up. I love that. It fed me. It was the faith of my parents. And, and, and then at Notre Dame in college, and then the years following that, and we're talking the 1970s, I, be, I began to discover a lot of what had been forgotten about how this all got started. Mm. 
And I don't think we should always go back and do something simply because this is how it began. Sure. But I think knowing what was there in the early years of Christianity gives us a lot of space to rethink and redream and reimagine mm -hmm. um, an Easter that might that might fill our hearts with love and inspiration. So if I was out talking to uh, the folks in my tradition, I would start out by saying something like, how many times a year do we celebrate Easter? Yeah, for, for me, I, I, I would usually answer that as one, but I've learned from you to answer it a little bit differently. <laughs> so for a couple of hundred years in our tradition, really the first two centuries of yeah. Christianity, uh, we celebrated Easter every Sunday. Mm. Every Sunday was Easter. Uh, and every Sunday we celebrated the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. So why did, after about 200 years, did the Christianity in the third century begin to think that, that they were going to do something on one Easter mm -hmm. that they didn't do the other 51? Yeah. And, and we might say, well, they, they wanted to more deeply meditate on those last days of Jesus. Well, perhaps, but that's not what they did. Um, this is, my work has always been to try to discover what's going on in people's lives that leads our tradition to create something. Mm -hmm. I don't think that these great creations, these great feasts come from the top down. I think they come from, from something that's going on in our lives, some felt need. Mm -hmm. And here's what I think is going on late second century, early third century, that led our tradition to set aside one of the 52 Easter's every year and say on this Easter, we're going to do something different from the other 51. All right. We know that there had been uh, in the first two centuries, a great deal of persecution. We know that the persecution by the Roman emperor was such that our tradition largely lived out of sight and underground. Um, we know that the persecution was not about the name Jesus, but it was because of what we were doing because of the reality of Jesus. We were raising the status of women who in those days largely were considered property. We were saying to slaves, you have worth and are welcome to sit at the table. When a lot of the Roman emperor didn't believe slaves were human, they thought of them as subhuman. Uh, we were saying to people, if you have means and wealth, you have a responsibility to share with those who have little. And we were saying to people, no matter where you were born in the empire, whether you were born in France or whether you were born in the Middle East or North Africa, that you are brother and sister to each other. In fact, we were saying that all of humanity is brother and sister to each other because we come from the same source. Mm. Well, all of those values and actions 
the emperor considered to be a, a strike against what he wanted for his empire. Hmm. That, that if these values took root, that the Roman empire could not stand. So the persecutions began and at times we were killed and at times we just had to live through all sorts of legal maneuvers against us. We were literally people from the other side of this tracks and we couldn't get jobs, we couldn't get schools, we couldn't get neighborhoods to live in. But it wasn't just persecution, it, it came in waves and it would let up. Well, as we get to the late second century and into the third century, the persecution is lessening mm. and we have the luxury i'm saying we as christians have the luxury to talk to other communities because mm. up to this point if you were a messenger from one community to the next and you were carrying a letter and you were stopped by some official of the empire you could be killed mm. for for that so now came a moment where we could begin to talk to each other and, and with great excitement and curiosity, how do you celebrate? What do you believe? How is your community organized? And what starts out in this moment with enthusiasm and interest and what I might even call holy curiosity, um soon becomes very difficult because what we discover is a lot of diversity and that diversity becomes the grist for a tremendous amount of tension that leads to argument that leads to um, what are called the heretical wars where we mm -hmm. were uh, theologically uh, saying who's in and who's out at this moment, Christianity says, hmm, we probably need to call ourselves back to prayer and spiritual practice. We probably need, in some ways, as a community, to go on retreat. Mm -hmm. And this retreat is about that we want to find our taproot again. And our, our, and our taproot is not that we're all going to think alike, not even necessarily that we're all going to believe in exactly the same way, or that our rituals are going to look exactly alike, but that we recognize each other mm. as brother and sister from the same source. Mm. And so what happened was they developed that there would be this one Easter Sunday out of the out of all 52 when we would say again to each other and before God our baptismal promises or as I like to say our baptismal vows. Mm -hmm because our vows were the highest values and principles of how we wanted to live in the world and live with each other as the present moment body of Christ. Mm. 
Well, they recognized in those days that it wasn't going to be enough to just say, okay, we're going to show up on this one Sunday and somebody's going to pass out the, the, uh, the vows and we're all going to stand up and <laughs> say them. But we should take a couple of days of retreat to really look at those promises again hmm. and to reanimate our life in those promises and to commit our heart uh, to live them with each other and before God again. Hmm. And so what you were seeing in these earliest days are that on this Easter, different from the other 51, mm -hmm. would be the community professing again its baptismal vows. And that prior to this Sunday, the community as a whole would be in a retreat reflecting together on these vows and deepening them and praying for the grace of oneness. Because mm -hmm. in those early days, they recognized that no matter how much our minds want us to be one, mm -hmm. that we've all got stuff. And we've always got stuff. We're, we're never going to have a moment where we don't have stuff. You mean it's not going to go away? No, it's not going to oh, go no. away. Oh, no. It's never going to go away. And that's okay, because we're, we're yeah. always on, on the way. But we recognize that we need a grace, uh, uh, an experience, whatever the, your theological word, an experience of God, an experience of Jesus, an experience of spirit, an experience of Trinity, something larger than just our very selves mm -hmm. that helps us move deeper mm. to that felt oneness. And it was the, the oneness of the communities in these days was not just a a mind thought, but a real, we wanted a felt sense of oneness mm -hmm. because so many of us have had to leave our families, maybe even leave our villages, um, step out of the tribes that we were born in mm -hmm. because this Christian community was going beyond the sense of tribe that the Roman Empire world knew. Mm. which was you care for somebody because they are of your same bloodline mm -hmm. or you care for somebody because they're of your same privilege. But the idea that we would be part of a community of all bloodlines and all genders and, and wealthy to, to poor and free to slave and, and educated and uneducated this sort of community we don't have any models for in those times. Mm -hmm. And yet this community needed to have a felt sense of togetherness, like the biological or tribe community that you came from. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we can say that in this earliest sense of Easter, as different from the other 51, mm -hmm. that they understood resurrection of the body as resurrection of our felt sense of oneness with each other mm 
and with God. And that felt sense of oneness was also an increase in vitality, an increase in reconciliation, an increase in the desire to do justice. Um, So it was not looking back in any way, sort of a video cam of those days in Jerusalem, but it was a recognition that we have a spiritual path of dying to something in us, some small part of ourselves, which has become a stumbling block to a deeper felt sense of oneness for all of us around the table. And hopefully not just around the table, but a oneness that we could take out into the world to everybody. Yeah. So you you see now how this early great, I'm going to call this Great Easter as opposed to the other 51 Easter's, this mm-hmm. early Great Easter was built upon the spiritual practice of enlivening the communion. Mm-hmm and uh, filling us with the joy and, and, and the inspiration and the love uh, and the vitality and, and the increased sense of forgiveness that may have been there in our first days when we became Christian. Mm-hmm. But because we live with each other and life gets confusing and there are all sorts of pressures, um, just it can just begin to ebb away. And yeah. so they, they recognized, okay, once a year, let's do this together mm. and let's reanimate the life of Jesus the Christ in our midst. Yeah. So really what's so interesting is to look back to those days and see, well, well, what did they do when they first got together for the retreat? And the retreat was essentially two days long. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're looking at our week today, we might say the retreat is like uh, maybe Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, maybe Friday, Saturday. Um, and the opening ritual of this retreat was the leader of the community in those days called a bishop. And the bishop's sign of authority was the staff that the bishop carries, which looks like a shepherd's crook mm-hmm. because the, the leader of the community is like the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. Well, the opening of this retreat is the bishop or the head of the community calls us together to enter this two-day retreat. And the bishop lays down the staff, mm-hmm. lays the staff on the floor and stands back with the community Hmm. and announces that for these two days, there are no, there are no experts. (laughs) There there are no theologians. There's no, there's no clergy and, and lay. It's, it's we, the people of God standing together, desiring and praying for a greater spirit of love in our midst and a oneness with our God and with each other. Wow. So there's nobody on stage telling everybody, this is how it is. This is what it is. This is how to believe. And 
Yeah. And it's not, no. and there's no sense that you're not being called together because you're a sinner. Yeah. Um, I like to call, I like to call this, this early, this, this two day retreat is what today we would call Lent. I, I like to call this, <laughs> that, that love calls to love. Yeah. That mm. we, we know we have been called to this place because of love. And so therefore we want to feel that love. And, and if we can feel that love again in a fresh way, we will do love because yeah. love calls to love. So those two days, those like that was their equivalent of Lent. That's and so for us, it's 40 days. So for them, it's two days of focusing on the unity and the oneness. For us, it's 40 days of realizing how terrible I am, <laughs> right? I mean, it just seems like it's so we, we've it's it's like we have lost the plot, right? Yeah. I I just it did it, it yeah, we yeah we have lost the plot. Huh. I, I don't say that with any joy. No, no. But to, to know how this all got started and the beauty of it. Yeah. And, and I think this is the type of prayer that many people want returned today yeah at, at least that's the truth i discover is i literally have gone around the world and talked about this yeah so in, in these two days together what the community is doing is they're they're reflecting on great stories from the gospel we call john mm -hmm. and they're reflecting on these stories and and asking to see their communal life deeper. For instance, you know, one of the great stories was Nicodemus. Another of the great stories was woman at the well, mm -hmm. man born blind and the raising of Lazarus. These, these are the four great stories that formed the, this two day Lent. Mm -hmm. And each one of these stories had an impact about how, oh, Oh, our, 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 our way of understanding God has been too small. Mm. Oh, our way of understanding each other has been too small. Mm. God, lead us. Please help us see larger. Help us feel larger. Help us be one with this larger vision of you and each other. Mm. So then the the uh, the two day retreat ends mm -hmm. uh, and it ends um, after sundown on Saturday. And then there's this great night that we're going to go. We're going to go together all night until the dawn. Mm. And uh, I'll start at the beginning at dawn. When that when that light breaks in that sky on Sunday morning, on the Sunday morning that in those days we'll call Great Easter, mm -hmm. we're going to stand before each other and we're going to say again our baptismal vows before God and for each other. And, and not only are we going to do that with each other, you know what else we're going to do? Mm. We're going to baptize the new ones. Mm. So this became the great annual baptism, baptismal moment, but the new ones 
are being inserted into our life. And so we lead. We're, it's, it, it's like we're not there observing their baptism. We are professing the moment of our baptismal promises again. And because we are doing that, then we pour the waters and we invite the new ones to go down into those waters and to come up out of those waters. And we see in them the journey that we've just professed again. And now we celebrate together at the table. But between the two-day retreat and that great dawn where we see resurrection in what we have done, mm -hmm. it's not that we're only thinking about Jesus coming out of the tomb, but we are doing historically around the same time that Jesus would have come out of that tomb. But the moment is not a historical proclamation alone. It's built on the historical moment, but it's the present moment action by our vows and by the new ones coming up out of the water. Mm. It's resurrection here and now. It's a present moment reality, yeah. not, not, a historical moment alone, not a moment looking to the future. But it's, we are, in essence, doing Jesus the Christ now. All right. So now, let me take a, do you have a question before? There's yeah, a lot. The, the, there, great night, the great night vigil to get up to the dawn. But yeah, so but I mean, the book ends. Yeah, so in, in talk, in listening to you talk, the thing that I find so interesting is that when, like in the second, third century, when they realized there's all this diversity, right? Like you said, that they had this luxury now of speaking to other groups, other tribes, whatever, realizing that, oh, like there's, you know, to borrow that Bart Ehrman text, the, the name of the book, it's the lost Christianities. Like there's many, there's multiple Christianities. Like they realize there's, there's this diversity. They don't gather together in a room and decide how to eliminate the diversity, but they get together and say, how can we make everybody feel welcome at this table? Right. Am I understanding that correctly? And so then it's like, in my mind, I'm like, that's again, like another way that we have so lost the plot because we've, we've in, in my upbringing, I know many people's upbringing, it's been, we have to find the truth, capital T. And there's one way to believe and everybody else's way is wrong. And we go through these seminary classes with these thick theology books that you have to memorize and know. And, but in the heart of it, like our roots go back to that time where it wasn't, there's diversity. Oh no, let's get rid of it. But there's diversity. Great. <laughs> let's bring everybody in and learn from each other. And I think that's so like, that brings my heart alive. Cause I feel like that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. You, you remind me of, um, uh, there, was, there was a time a few years ago when I was working in New Zealand, and um, God bless them, there's a denomination in New, New Zealand um, called the True Jesus Church. Mm. <laughs> and and a, a number of these True Jesus Churches are right across the street from a Catholic or, or, or an Anglican church. Mm. And you just know there's the... Um, 
And, and yes, it's like this early moment of Christianity. They were not perfect. They mm -hmm. didn't have everything sure. resolved. Sure. But they did have this sense that we can come together in a harmony, which is not a uniformity. Yeah. Hmm. That's one of the things I said to uh, a few people who have had very strong disagreements about the diversity that I try to put out there with the podcast is I've said, I believe that we can move forward arm in arm, even if we can't see eye to eye. I don't need to see eye to eye with you on a certain piece of theology in order for us to move forward with our arms locked, trying to do what I think we both would consider to be the work of Christ to love and to include and to show grace and all those different things. I just cut you off though. <laughs> that just came to my mind. No, I, 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 so, I so appreciate that. Yeah. It's like I, I, I describe in some ways Christianity as sort of um, the, the balance beam at the Olympics or, or in gymnastics. It's one of my favorite things to watch because I, I think that's what we're trying to do. And it's um, there's this wide V mm -hmm. of Christianity with all of this complexity and all these variables and it's all beautiful. And then, and then there's these two realities of we've gone too far on either side. And, and one side where you would fall off the balance beam is Jesus was just a good man. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the other side is that Jesus was, was only God was Jesus was God pretending to be a man. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that sense of only divinity or only humanity, um, is sort of the, the two sides in the middle, trying to understand how Jesus is both divinity and humanity, there's a wide range of how we can do that. And that's yeah. all welcome at the table. Yeah, I like that. That's good. All right, back back to the mm -hmm. great night. Yeah. So we, we, we've come out of our, our two-day retreat and we're headed towards dawn where we're going to recommit ourselves to our baptismal promises and we're going to invite new ones to be baptized. So the first ritual after we come out of the hours of retreat is we wash feet. Mm. Now, this is so interesting because I want to I, I want to ask people to hold for a moment the memory of a foot washing service in Holy Week, because what you're seeing here is where Holy Week came from. And I want you to understand how far away Holy Week is from how this all began. For a hundred years, the second century of Christianity, every time we came together on Sunday, we did two things. And we said that they were both expressions of communion. We washed feet. Every Sunday we washed feet and we called that communion. And then we took bread and cup and called that the second form of communion. Hmm. And we did every Sunday, every Sunday. Wow. And hmm. we were following sort of the attitude of Paul. And I know for many of us, he, he may not be our, uh, our most favorite guy. <laughs> I, I happen to have a great deal of affection for, for his teachings, but I understand them in a way that most people would disagree with me. Anyway, <laughs> Paul had always said that it's not so much the question of the body on the table as it is the body around the table. Yeah. And it was out of this teaching 
that Christians came together and said, it's the attitude of foot washing mm. that magnifies the body on the table. Mm. And so following from the Gospel of John, every Sunday they washed feet and then took bread and took cup. Mm. Well, so then when this retreat and Great Easter got started, what appears to have happened is somehow it was decided that they would no longer do foot washing every Sunday, but they would reserve it for once a year mm. to be the first prayer of Easter Sunday night. Now, you have to remember that they are saying that the nighttime after after sundown on Saturday is what they call Easter Sunday night. And Easter Sunday night is followed by Easter dawn. I know it's like a, a mind twister. <laughs> so they do foot washing to open this great night. And they are celebrating foot washing as communion. Mm. And they are celebrating foot washing as the lived experience of resurrection. Mm. Because they are saying that it is only by the aroma of resurrection that we would be called and want to wash each other's feet. Mm. So after this two day retreat, about oneness, then we do oneness. Mm. But the thing is, it's not being done like the last night before Jesus dies. It's not being done with all of that stuff that that has been a been accrued to it mm -hmm. today. Um, it's being done because it is one of the most powerful moments in the entire year yeah and it's being done because after two days of praying to want to do this now we do this and and then a little bit later in the night we do a, a, a prayer because we're going to stay up all night mm -hmm. so a little bit later in the night we and and, and I, I love the image of this because i come from the middle east i understand this Mm -hmm. You know, Westerners think you go into church and you stay there until the service is over and then you go, eh, it's not the Middle East at all. Right. <laughs> you go into service, you're there for a little bit, you go outside and you take a drink or maybe even light a cigarette or yeah. take a walk around the block and then come back. It's this, it's this much more fluid thing. It's not yeah. this, you're locked in your seat for the whole, the whole time. Right. Um, I, I love it. In, in the Greek Orthodox tradition, it's like the, the, this long, great liturgy is going on. And over in the, in the social hall, they're serving, they're serving food mm -hmm. and, and going back and forth. All right. This is, about, this is more like what I mean when I say that they were up all night. Mm -hmm. So a little bit later in the night, there's going to be this prayer around the four-armed equidistant cross. This is not quote unquote, the crucifix. There is no body on the cross. If there's the, 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 any, any sense of a body on this cross is the, is the body of our community. Mm. 
And this, this cross is the, is the place of tension that we've decided to walk with because we understand that the tension between height and depth and the tension between east and west that sort of makes up the equidistant cross mm-hmm. is the tension of the holy mm. and our the, the tension that we have between each other because we're passionate because we love deeply because we care greatly because there's always so much more to do than we can do all of that tension this prayer is about how we hold that tension Mm. and we ask for the grace of jesus the christ to bear this tension lightly Mm. and to know that in some ways this tension is uh, it's holy and i i want to use the word it's even salvific in 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 that sense It be, because how we hold this tension is a lot of how we get to deeper oneness with each other. Because mm. mm. where you live with great intimacy with each other, there's always going to be tension. Yeah. And the, the tension is not there to explain away or even in, in some ways to resolve away, but rather to live with in love mm. because the tension is taking us deeper in our spiritual walk anyway. And that equidistant cross is what you, I see you have your necklace and I've, I've seen that a few times and that's what that equidistant cross is. Yes. Is it? So it symbolizes, like you said, the tension and the tension is what ultimately leads us to deeper unity. And in these days, the baptistry was always this image. The baptistry was a large equidistant cross mm. where this prayer happened late at night was we prayed around the baptistry. We saw the baptistry is our commitment to walk this life of love that was also going to be filled with great holy tension because we wanted to be a community of authenticity, which respects everyone's inherent uniqueness. Mm. Mm. And the gospel that we would pray around this at this moment is the passion of John is the gospel account of, John of, of John, where if you if you can forget Matthew, Mark, and Luke for a moment, <laughs> just read John. You Let John speak for himself. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no um, there's no agony in John. Jesus doesn't suffer in John. Not one yeah. iota. If, if, if we only had John's passion and not the other three, we would think that this would have been a walk in the park. Jesus says, I've chosen this moment. Jesus essentially says, I put myself on this, uh, on this cross. Um, Jesus chooses the moment he's going to die. And, and from this place, Jesus 
creates new community. Yeah. Giving the beloved disciple to his mother and his mother to the beloved disciple. And that's exactly what happens when we bear the cost of love without counting the cost. Mm. Now, it's not every moment of our lives that we can reach the majesty of John's passion. Um, I think perhaps many women might know it better than we men in childbirth. Yeah. And actually, John's passion is an image of birth because from the body of Jesus the Christ on the cross, what flows out? But blood and water. Yeah. And wherever, where else does that happen in human life but at birth? Mm. Mm. And what is being birthed in this incredibly loving passion is an us and a oneness. Mm. Anyway, and from this moment on the cross, Jesus breathes out like the first breath of creation, that breath that holds the cosmos. Mm. Anyway, this is why John's passion is not a Lenten passion. This is why John's passion was considered by our ancestors the passion to be read on Easter. Mm. On Easter. This is John is an Easter passion. Matthew, Mark, and Lent, uh, Matthew <laughs> and Luke. Right. Our Linton passion. Yeah. Not John. Mm. So then the great night goes on and it goes on. And there are other, um, there are other rituals, in, including the, the beautiful ritual late in the night where the fire of the, of the Easter candle and the depths of water of the, uh, of the baptistry are joined in there's this beautiful imagery about the sacred union of opposites and all of life. And that yeah. happens late in the night, very, very close to the coming to dawn. But so all of these, everything that happens after sundown on Saturday for our ancestors were the prayers of resurrection. They are the prayers. And the final great prayer of Easter will be the baptismal promises, mm. the baptism of the new ones, the anointing with oil of people are to be anointed. And then together we gather at the new table mm. and then probably go home for a long sleep. <laughs> So that's the story that of how all of this started. Mm. And, and then I don't know whether it's important now to talk about how it dissolved and how we ended up with something called Holy Week and why I think today, please, 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 if you are just coming to the practice of, of Easter, think about a new way. Don't think about the Holy Week way. Yeah. That was going to be my next question was because this episode is the day after Easter Sunday. And so now someone who has maybe just 
gone through Holy Week. You know, maybe maybe they still go to church, maybe they don't, but maybe they had all these memories last week of, you know, stuff from their childhood. Now kind of having this perspective going forward, you know, what you said earlier, Easter's not over because Easter was celebrated every Sunday. Every Sunday was Easter Sunday. So as we leave this larger Easter Sunday and we go on with the rest of our year, you know, what what is it that we can take away from this wisdom that you just shared with us to apply to today and tomorrow and every day going forward? Um, there is something called resurrection. Mm -hmm. And we see it in nature when coming out of winter and leaves burst and blooms dazzle our eyes and yeah. Sometimes we sneeze and all the time I sneeze. <laughs> but resurrection is is not an unusual experience. It is a usual experience. Yeah. And I want people to remember that uh, in in the depths of inner winter. Mm -hmm. And right now there are a lot of places in us that are in a time of inner winter. Yeah. But inner winter will give way to a springtime yeah grief will give way to new life yeah and our ancestors would say pray for it pray pray to receive that energy mm. and don't think about it only as something that's going to happen with your last breath but think about it as something that can happen with each breath yeah that jesus the christ dies and rises in your life and with you right now mm. and any day of the year can be a personal easter that's right mm. that's so good i was i was talking to a friend the other day and they're on a similar journey that i'm on and we were talking about how in the past, all of our focus on, especially the big pieces of Jesus's life, the, the virgin birth and the resurrection, like the beginning and the end, like, did these things really happen? Like, is no, and it's, is it, it's, it's truth if it really happened. And if it didn't really happen, then it's not truth. And I remember we were talking about how, like, we used to be so you know, into like the debates for all those things and all the different ways to try to prove different things. And now we were both saying like, all of that stuff is irrelevant because whether it's historically accurate or not, whatever, it's still true. And it's true because I see resurrection every day. Like I see resurrection every, uh, all throughout the course of a day. I mean, there's constantly something that comes across my path that I think this should be the end of the road for whatever it is. And then boom, there's new life on the other side. I see, you know, even speaking of like the virgin birth, I see things being birthed every day out of darkness where things should not be birthed at all. You know, like, and like these things are, this is what makes it true. And so like when you're speaking about that, that's, I think that's the key. And I can remember sitting in a, a church service when I was in seminary and I remember the pastor was Easter. The pastor was talking about, Marcus Borg's book, um, talking about how he was questioning, you know, the reality of the resurrection or whatever. And really the whole sermon was about this, 
this idea that, you know, resurrection had to happen in the past so that it can happen in the future. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I didn't have the language yet, but you just spoke it so perfectly that it's not just a past event or a future event. It's an in the moment event. And that's what that sermon was really lacking was there was no conversation about the resurrections that happen in our lives today. And I think that that's that such important piece that you just brought to it that I hope our listeners take away is that we all go through these times, especially in these days where it seems like it's the end of the road for whatever reason it might be, but there's always new life on the other side. It is. And it, it's not an accident that our ancestors chose for us in the Northern hemisphere um, to make great Easter in the springtime. That's right. And it's not just, only because it was historically near the time of Passover, because if you really look back at the record, mm -hmm. they expressly did not want to celebrate Easter with Passover. They wanted them to be two separate spiritual realities. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no value one or the other, but they said, you don't celebrate Easter when it's Jewish Passover, because mm -hmm. there are two realities to two different traditions. Anyway, just an, an interesting piece because um, Christian Easter was not built on a replication of Jewish Passover. Mm. And our language has sort of said that over and over again. We've tried to make it true, but it's not the reason it was created. Um, that's that's a podcast for another day, right? That's, there. A, that's another one. <laughs> That'll be episode number 230. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, hey. This is so good. Uh, we're just about out of time. But Alexander, this has been a lot of fun, um, as always. And uh, I just want to say, too, thank you for not just the time today, but just uh, for all the faith you've shown in me since that first time we recorded all those years ago. I think a large part of why we're at 200 episodes is because, because of you. You're a cheerleader, you're a friend, and I thank you. Glenn, it's been an honor and a delight. Keep going, brother. Thank you. And as always, I'll put your links in the show notes, and we'll be doing it again soon. Okay. All right, my friend. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed something fancy. Wish I on a pot on some gold with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sandbox beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land, name our own picture, we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland, so I much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows, feel like James I Brown, love we going here to dance. Let me talk, at the end of the day we know who's at a fall. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, going ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience, dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did this beat neat? Ever wanna follow my speed? Let's close those more keys. Hey. Carolina Rose on freeze. Hey. 
ocean, I can fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something hit my mind, hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the fall. We got a hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it.